Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? We've got a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about a lot of different stuff, uh, one of them being how to make good moments last. Why? Because our brains evolutionarily are skewed towards logging negative and fear-based experiences to protect us, but the positive ones... Sadly, they just kind of roll right back out of our brains. We're going to talk about how to do that. Uh, also talk about weight and uh, do some DMs. And of course, question of the night, as always, up on our Loveline IG page. Lots of great stuff going on in the news. So let's talk about some of the positive stuff. Uh, Biden is crushing it already. <laughs> signing some epic, epic things uh, into law, bills, statutes, changing how we're focusing on coronavirus. We now have a daily COVID update that is led by, that's right, Dr. Fauci, our buddy. So glad to see him back. I'm watching um, all the different states and countries take things more seriously, although we have a few outliers. I'm looking at you, Florida and Texas. Unbelievable. Y'all don't seem to care about the lives of other people. Uh, state legislatures need to step in and do better. Uh, but positive note, shows like The Rookie, they've come out saying, look, we promise more racially aware, kind of, we want to be a racially aware cop show. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means historically <laughs> and in and, and present tense as well, uh, the carceral system, the criminal injustice system, and the police have often targeted uh, people that are exploited, marginalized people that are black, of color, sex workers, queers, trans, gay people, and uh, they're focusing on the racial component. Great. Not everyone trusts cops, especially black people. Historically, they've been the site of violence. Uh, they're the high rate of the identity that's most incarcerated. We have the highest rate of people incarcerated here in the United States, and it, the bulk of it is people of color, and often it's for a lot of nonviolent crimes as well. It's a mess. So people don't want to watch cop shows anymore because they trigger people. They don't feel safe. People are watching the footage and hearing what's going on. And so cop shows are no longer fun to, fun to them. And also they're not honest. It's always about the cops being very ethical, looking out for individuals solving crime. And that's just not the case. And people are you know, better educated and they want better. And so I like this, you know, the writing rooms, they're finally bringing in diversity. They want to be more inclusive. They want to tell more honest stories. And I think we need that. So I'm here for it. I think it's a good thing. I, I, I hope we see more of it. I know we will. It's a very inspiring thing. So congrats to the rookie. Um, never seen an episode. Cop shows are not my jam for the exact reasons we talked about. I don't want to watch them pretend to be completely good Samaritans. Um, although I'm thankful for a lot that they do. I'm glad that we're now turning over the responsibility 
responsibilities to social workers and the local government and providing resources. So more of that to come. Um, also, God bless them, Dr. Fauci, huge fan, as I've said. Now they're saying, yep, we need to double up. So this comes out of our uh, from our own radio.com reporting. Dr. Fauci says doubling up on masks makes common sense and is more effective. You've seen a little bit of that. I saw it at Biden's inauguration, some people doubling up. <sighs> it's what we're going to have to do, and I'm willing to do it. Why? Because it protects other people's lives, and it is no cost me nothing. No, no sweat off my back to put on two masks if I can protect myself and other people until I can get the vaccine. Um, so Dr. Fauci has said, yep, that's what we got to do because we got more virulent strains of COVID emerging around the globe. He says, so if you have one physical covering with one layer, you put on another, makes sense that it's more effective. And that's why you see people doubling up. I know. It sounds like things are getting worse, not better. They will get better as long as we are wearing our masks, staying home. You do not need to go on a vacation right now and uh, getting those vaccines. I'm hearing a lot of people that aren't willing to get vaccinated. We'll see what happens. I'm, I, I'm not sure, but it's possible that some organizations and centers and businesses will mandate seeing proof of vaccination. Why? Because even while vaccinated, people are still susceptible for infection and can still infect others if they have the coronavirus. Vaccines are not a cure-all. It's one part of many different things we have to do to make the world safer, but it doesn't completely alleviate all and any problems or issues. So we wanna pay attention to that, that's important. And finally, another good news, Russia, who is historically horrible and murders gays, drags them around the city. People are literally escaping. You want to watch a powerful documentary. It's called uh, Welcome to Chechnya. I think it might be on HBO Max. I'm not sure. Track it down. Really beautiful. I talked about it on the show before. Very overwhelming. Uh, so Russia, trying to work through some of their sexism and misogyny. Ready for this headline? Their first female train driver. After decades. Because there was a ban. For decades. Females couldn't be train drivers. Sit with that. Females in the United States weren't able to open a bank account in their own name till the mid-70s. Like, that's why when people say, let's go back to how it was, I'm like, how far back you want to go? It's been a hot mess for a while for a lot of different marginalized, exploited people. But uh, yes, we have the first woman to drive a commuter train in Russia. Uh, historically, the government made that one of the things that was a list on a list of jobs that were deemed too harmful for women's health. That's right, women. We're just looking out for your health by limiting uh, the possibilities of things you could do in the world. God bless sexism and misogyny being buried and hidden under uh, the patronizing attempt to look out for someone's health, not by letting them decide for themselves. And if it's not healthy enough for a woman, it ain't healthy enough for a man. Genetics don't matter. Neither does anatomy or gender. Like, we got to let go of that stuff. If it's not safe for one, it's not safe for all. All right, as I said, question of the night is up. Coming up next, talk about how to saturate ourselves and really better log those positive moments. We all need a little more joy and positivity in our lives. So we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about something that I found really personally meaningful. And just so all the listeners know, all the topics I choose or the articles I'm reading are, are always things that I think are relevant to what people are going through. I think they're interesting. I think they're dynamic, but they always have something uh, personally meaningful to me. So uh, it's a wide range. That's what I think I love about psychology is <clears throat> mental health and psychology find their way into everything. And it was interesting when Trump first came into um, the presidency. It's hard to say why well, I couldn't get that couldn't get that out of my mouth. Uh, you know, politics became something that a lot of people became more involved in and more aware of. I know I personally every morning would wake up and turn on the news anxious. 
uh, to see what maybe was happening now, what had gone on overnight. It was really interesting. I had not ever put on the news in such a anxious and hurried way. Uh, but my bigger point is we really started to be able to see how much mental health really was a, a companion on um, the process of, you know, whatever's happening within politics. A every single thing we encounter in the world really has the potential and most likely does impact our mental health in some way. Uh, it, 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 we have an experience. Everything that happens uh, transforms us or touches us or triggers historical memories or associations or traumas. We can't talk about any topic and not, not see a thread of mental health tied to it. So <clears throat> what was interesting is I started thinking about positive moments and joy because, you know, we were in the middle of a pandemic and we were talking a lot about lives mattering and, and looking at, you know, white supremacy and it was a really, really heavy time and necessary. I think looking at our shadow, uh, our individual personal shadow side or our collective cultural societal shadow side is really, really valuable, right? We have to look at the parts of ourselves that are real and honest, but that we want to ignore and dismiss. So that was heavy. And clients were doing a lot of really deep self-reflective and introspective work, right? Because when the world gets heavy and dark, we sink into that. However, what I wanted to do is, again, the definition of mental health is the ability to tap into all human emotions, maybe not at the same time, but I was realizing, you know, we're not trying to stay positive. We're trying to stay honest and real, and that's mental health, right? Like really staying in the truth, not going into denial or bypassing. And part of that was realizing that joy and pleasure still do and can exist. People were having guilt and shame talking about maybe thriving or doing well. But even for those that weren't, there were moments where things maybe could be joyous. And that's why my mantra was, you know, joy and pleasure, joy and pleasure. Fight, try to find ways because we're, we're, we're trying to build a lifestyle right now. And <clears throat> COVID and the pandemic was really instilling in people a different kind of lifestyle. And it was normalizing, uh, normalizing lower levels of socialization and touch. It was also normalizing anxiety and avoidance. And so it was about trying to kind of uh, balance some of that out. So I started focusing more myself on what can bring me joy and pleasure in this time um, in a really, really honest way. And in doing so, I was looking at the research and um, it, it's probably more of a protective ev evolutionarily designed capacity that we have where anything that is injurious or scary or anxiety inducing is really simply and very quickly registered by our brain. Our brain is really good at being sensitive to things that we need to be aware of in the future and learn from, right? It's really good at keeping us, our alert system going. So our, our brains know that they need to protect us and they have a, an important built-in capacity, again, over the long haul to really hold on to anything associated with whatever bad events occur to us. And that's why we have trauma triggers because our brain is being very sensitive and it's trying to make quick associations and it's not always correct. And that's where the past still lives in the present. And that's a trauma response, right? It's in our brains, it's in our bodies. Now, when we're looking at pleasure and positivity, those things are a lot harder to log and register. They don't have <laughs> as, as much of an impact on us. And that's why <laughs> we are very good at accessing negative emotions and experiences but we can work with our brain to try to get better about logging the positive experiences. And we need to do that.
we want to make sure we are not people that are only picking up on and carrying with us and really able to access the negative. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that if we're having a positive experience, we need to relate to it differently, right? Negative experiences are pretty much held manage. We don't need to work on keeping those longer. We need to work on being more mindful and holding on to the positive. Now, everyone's brain is different. And you have to remember that whenever you're reading a study, it's never able to account for who the person is before them. Uh, before a study, they're not able to look at everything that occurred to this person that might make their experience individualized. So whenever you're hearing a study that says, oh, we did a study on 10 men. Well, you can't necessarily universally apply that research because we need to know more about those specific men, but also the other men that we're applying it to. Or the, you know what I mean? A rough example, are the men cis or trans? What kind of trauma background do they have? What are we testing for? My point being, the rough study is when you have a positive experience that you want to hold on to, you need to sit with it. You need to tap into all the different senses around it. You need to hold it in your mind for a few seconds. We don't do that, nor do we need to do that with something negative or scary or anxiety-based. But for something positive, we do. We actually have to hold it to take it with us, right? And that's why it's about saturating. And I, and I started to learn that at concerts, right? Certain events can come and go very quickly, but I would try to really place myself and say, take this in, you're at a show, there's your favorite artist in front of you, really be present, really hear it, really feel it, sit with it, right? It's a very individual experience and that's how you can carry it with you. But we don't always remember that. So we're gonna talk more about how to make good moments carry with us and stay with us and essentially last longer. Because I track these things. That's right. I'm tracking these things when I'm out in the world. I'm watching people. And we tend to just move through the world very quickly on autopilot. Very rarely do we do the work that it takes to be present in moments. And you can see who's present and who's not. And I don't want to blame technology because that is just one of many things. And it's a cultural issue. Technology just becomes one other tool for that. But the rough, lazy example is you notice how some people are always on their phone during certain experiences, and that allows them to not be fully present. So we're going to talk more about this when we come back. Uh, how to make good moments last longer. We all could use a little bit of that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about how to make good moments, positive moments, good experiences really last longer, how to be more present with them, recognizing that our brains and our nervous systems are really built to keep us safe. And so they're really good at very easily and quickly logging and logging deeply and powerfully anything scary, anxiety-based, fear-based that happens to us because that's there to protect us. But the positive doesn't have in a evolutionarily you know, built kind of perspective. It doesn't really have the useful, a very useful function. And again, remember our goal, <laughs> we are human. We, as humans, we are meaning making machines, but nonetheless, our first goal is to protect itself. And that's the goal of any institution system or entity. Every being is trying to protect itself. Every institution and system's first job is to protect itself at all costs first. And that's why we always realize when we step into something secondarily that we are secondary to that. So what do we do if we want to make these moments last longer? What do we do to be more present with them? I've been practicing this <clears throat> because there are certain moments and experiences I want to have, but I'm also working on slowing myself down. Our American culture, we are about new, bigger, faster. We want it quick, we want it now, right? We don't want to sit at a restaurant long, we want our meal fast and quick, where in other cultures, they prioritize meals being really stretched out, many courses, spending a lot of time together, they settle in, but in America, we want it fast and furious. And I saw that when I was in Europe traveling, where you could tell the American people, they were like, 
they had no patience where a lot of the Europeans, and of course I'm stereotyping, but I could see a powerful juxtaposition at times. So it holds true in some events that uh, other cultures were more present. They were just spending time with themselves or with those around them, or they were really taking in what they were eating or the environment where Americans, they were like, bam, bam, bam. I think sometimes if we could just grab and go everything we would want to, but that burns us out and continual growth isn't possible. That erodes at all the experiences around us. We miss out on what's happening. So the first thing you want to do, if you really want to be more present with an experience and log it also is to take some breaths. Breath is one of the most powerful ways to ground us. It's one of the only ways we have access over our system to soothe it. So we're not talking about soothing our system, but what we are talking about is how to, again, be more present to these positive experiences. And I mean that as in a date that you are having a great time with, spending time with your grandkids, maybe being at an art event, a concert, whatever sex, whatever the moments are, you want to be more present. First start with taking a breath. It's both intentional but it's also grounding. It's bringing you to the moment. It's reminding you that I'm in a moment. I want to experience this moment because moments can come very quickly. Think about that. We've all eaten something where we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I just ate all that. That's right. I wasn't even present with any of the bites. Then you also want to remind yourself it's intention setting. Like I really want to take this in. And I do that at concerts. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, just remember to be present. I take a breath and I set the intention, like take all this in, really note that you're here. Say to yourself, I want to remember this. And then comes the next step, which is so vital and so important. And we use this for people that are maybe overly anxious or a trauma response has been triggered and they're feeling like they're dissociating. We also use this for people that are hyper anxious and social dynamics in terms of intimacy or first date. Use your five senses. They are a powerful way to engage in the totality of an experience. We often don't do that. Someone could experience something and I'll say, what did you smell? What did you hear? And they'll say, I don't know, I was busy watching, right? Maybe let's say an art show or a concert. But if we take in all the senses, we have a better, we have a total experience of what's happening, but we can log it better, right? It's, it's a beautiful body hack. So it's, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? What are you smelling? This was brought up on a date once, and I thought it was stunning. On a date, outdoors, hiking a picnic, and the question was posed to me. And had I not really sat in that moment, I would have really just walked away thinking, you know, we went hiking and we sat and talked. But the question was posed, what do you hear? And I was able to talk about five or six different sounds all occurring at the same time. And had I not been asked this, I would have experienced none of it. I would have remembered none of it and started to bring me deeper into the experience. So I was able to talk about all the different sounds I could hear. And then the question was, what do you feel? And I could feel the sun and I could feel the air, the wind on me. And then it was also, what do you see? right? What do you smell? And that's how we start to really be present. And we can do this in intimate moments. We can do this in moments when we're spending time with a loved one and it really connects us. But more importantly, it brings us in the moment. More importantly, it helps us log that experience. It's really powerful. And then you also ask yourself about the emotions. What am I feeling? And, and can I drop into that feeling deeper? Am I feeling a sense of peace? Where do I feel that in my body? What does that feel like? You're really sitting in the moment. These are the ways you're able to bring yourself back. I love this kind of stuff because again, in our world, we move so quickly. And I hope COVID was a time that really taught us that although things, times were tough, we were able to just find some, some, some healing and peace in just being present, more present with ourselves. And this is a skill we can use to settle down social anxiety doing all those exercises in a really overwhelming social space. It brings us back to ourself and away from the thoughts. 
the catastrophizing, dramatic, unreal thoughts of what we're having, right? We can do this in so many necessary moments, doing it when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling scared, when we're feeling overwhelmed. It's powerful stuff. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're gonna be doing some DMs and then talking about weight information. That's right. We all have to form a new relationship with our bodies, both because of what we've just come out of with the quarantining, but also because, well, we still live in a very body-shaming world and our self-esteem is on the line when we talk about these topics. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. We're back. And now it's time to slide into our DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide into our DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. This Valentine's Day, we aren't sliding into DMs, we're gliding into them. That's because Astroglide is here with a dozen different personal lubricants for whatever or whoever you want to get into this month. From self-love to an intimate night with your loved one, Astroglide can help you surpass your intimate expectations. All right, this one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Lucas. I come from a long line of police officers. My brother is in school to become one right now. My dad, my uncle, my grandpa, but that's not me. That's a long family legacy. You don't, you don't see a lot of that anymore. Um, I found passions doing other things, especially working in production. I recently told my mom about it, and while she's proud of me, she thinks that I should still consider becoming an officer. I don't want to be defiant or become the black sheep of the family, but how do I get them to listen to me and understand me? Oh, I love questions like this. Yeah, this is difficult. We are raised in a culture where we want to be accepted. We want to be bigger than that. We want to be normal. We want to be normal. We want to be what people want us to be. Some of that makes sense. Again, our self-esteem is an accumulation of what's reflected back to us by those around us. So that's tied in there. There's also, you know, family pressure. We're raised within a family dynamic. It's one of the first spaces where we start to learn about judgment and stigma and, um, there's cultural pressures, religious pressures. Many people are socialized to believe that their role or responsibility is to keep the family or others happy. Uh, you know, in America, we very much value that rugged individualism, which I think can be very gross and problematic in some ways when we don't have care and compassion for others. But I think in the positive way, it can help some individuals start to develop more of a solid boundaryed self. And I think that that can serve us in a lot of areas. And here's kind of an example of that. You know, your, your role in life uh, is to decide what makes sense for you and, and essentially who you are. I always want people to consider the impact on their decision of their decisions on others. But, um, you know, when we talk about and look at research into mental health and happiness, it's very much rooted in creating a life of purpose and meaning, but also one of authenticity. And living in our culture often means liberating and freeing yourselves from our norms and our values because a lot of them are, you know, racist, homophobic, body shaming, rooted in capitalism and the idea that your worth is tied to your productivity and how much money you have and materialism and to move away from that and to say, but what makes sense to me based on who I am? What do I need? What do I want? What will make me happy in the world? What will give me purpose and give me meaning? And that's really what's going to set you up. Because if you're leading your life in service of what others want or what you think they want, it's not always going to get you there. And sometimes it'll also just let you down when you're looking out at the world that you've built and the life you're living. And it's not really tied to what makes sense to you. So they're not always going to understand and they don't have to understand. So part of this is about you being okay with disappointing others, right? And that's hard for some people, but that's the work. 
um, letting them know that the decision's been made. And it's also fair to set a boundary and say, I don't really want to keep talking about this. And even bigger than that, build the intimacy by saying to your family, it makes me feel really bad when I feel like you're putting pressure on me or I'm disappointing you withhold that. I don't need to know about that. I don't need to see that or hear that. I, if, if I'm disappointing you in my career decisions, process that amongst yourselves, but I need to be focused on what's making sense to me. And I figured out what I want to do. And so it's about setting that boundary <clears throat> and healthy people will honor that. But some people don't have families like that, where people are very, very comfortable and feel very free to put a pressure and let you know how much they're disappointed, whatever it is, tell them to withhold that, set that boundary. But more importantly for your mental health, and for your own happiness, you have to go on the path that makes sense to you. And sometimes that's a journey even in and of itself, right? Where whatever we first decided upon or chose doesn't necessarily become what our next step is or our step after that. Some people have a wealth of things that they're interested in and curious about. And their journey might be one of going out and exploring all of that. So see what makes sense to you. Uh, but go on your path. And it's okay to let people down. And then I guess this is the message for the others. Uh, stop trying to project what you think someone needs upon them because you don't know and maybe withhold a little bit more what your dreams and desires are for someone because that doesn't mean it's the right thing for them and it's not their role to necessarily fulfill them. If that is what you want to see happen, you go do that. Maybe your mom needs to go join the police force then. You know what I mean? But congrats on you figuring out what it is you want to do, whatever that may be. If you got a DM for us, you can drop it in our DMs on our Loveline IG page, which is also where the question of the night is. That is in our IG stories. Coming up, we're going to talk more about mental health and uh, and question nights. There's still some time to weigh in on that. Check out past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about weight. So I want to give some trigger warnings for people that are just not wanting to talk about or think about their bodies. That's the content warning. Um, it's something we all will at some point encounter. And when we talk about our body, I think a lot of people always imagine we're talking about weight, uh, shape or size, but we're talking about everything. We're talking about your sense of your anatomy. We're talking about penis shaming. We're talking about stretch marks. We're talking about body hair. We're talking about different skin conditions. We're talking about a lot of different things. We're talking about height. It's a rough world and we're often um, objectified and we think about ourselves through the gaze of another. We move through the world often kind of judging ourselves based on the perception we make up that others will have of us, right? Um, it's really hard for us to have general self-esteem if we're really not doing well in terms of our body esteem. Uh, you know, there was a time when people just wanted to be a good or better person. And that was a time when they focused on etiquette and ethics and morals and religion. And now we're at a time where people just want to look and be hot and they want to have a hot body. And it's really set some people up to be very anxious and very depressed and feeling very isolated when the body that you are born in, when the vehicle that is yours, that you move through the world in is not meeting what we call market value or desirability politics and standards. It's very hard to feel okay in the world. And those standards are arbitrary, right? They change from culture to culture and time moment in time to moment in time. It's not always the same. And when you go back and look at the history, you can see how these things have shifted, changed and evolved. Um, <clears throat> but that's part of the issue, right? is we have set up these standards that we've decided will be what we all culturally agree to as seeing, you know, to be what's most attractive. And that 
is how fashion and television and magazines and modeling and all of that kind of orbits around that. And so it's really hard to dismantle that, but we need to because it doesn't include everyone. And wouldn't it be great if we could have these beauty standards and norms and ideas of health that were more inclusive so that people could feel okay? Because again, remember, mental health matters. Whenever we're talking about something, we always have to say, but what's the mental health impact? And if it's a negative one, then we can't, then we're not talking about health. And people will say that, that are in the weight loss world. They'll say, well, we're worried about health. It's like, right. And weight stigma is a mental health issue. And that's attached to this, thereby removing the health that you're talking about. Um, it's very shaming. And it's really hard for people to feel attractive if they don't meet those norms and values. So the work is global, but it's also personal. And that's what I realized. I can't just help people working on it in my office, you know, an hour a week and send people back out into the world that's toxic and think that the work is going to be deep or sustainable, right? We have to change the systems that also create those problems. Now, a lot of people bring it up as a health concern and we call it healthism and we call it health policing. Um, be very thoughtful and cautious about commenting on someone else's shape or size or body condition or skin condition or whatever it is, because often it's, it's your anxiety and you feel anxious about how they look or how they're living and you want to say or do something so that you feel calm, but that's your work. If a person's happily living their life, however they are, you need to really honor that boundary. Um, but people will say, well, I'm worried about someone's health. And so I want to comment on their weight. Everyone's aware of their weight already. And people don't need more people making them feel bad or bringing it up because a, maybe they finally had an hour or a day free away from thinking and considering these things or <clears throat> because they're battling with it and already know, and they've already decided if they want to participate or not in gym culture or weight loss culture. Right. And we already know that diets have a 98 to 99% failure rate and the damage that's done from the yo-yo dieting and the weight gain, the weight loss is quite extreme. And that's why now doctors thankfully are moving away from using words like obesity, which is a statistical pejorative and saying things like overweight and actually focusing on true health, which is about lab test and heart rate and blood pressure, right? And respiratory capacities. Like those are the factors we need to worry about. Again, you don't for your physical send your doctor a shirtless selfie. And then he makes this diagnosis from that because being leaner or being larger doesn't promise or directly speak to what your health will be. We still have to do these tests and find out more. But the larger perspective on this is just the mental health angle, which is people are aware of their shape and size and people are aware of what's going on in the world and you don't need to further stigmatize. Also, <clears throat> weight gain is usually more about genetics, right? It's genetics, socioeconomics. And so if we really want to work on health and we're really worried about some individual's health and certain, you know, quote unquote, blown out epidemics, start helping everyone get basic health care. The work would really be if you're worried about a friend's weight, making sure that everyone has access to the foods that they want, nutritious, fresh foods, if that's what they're looking for. Make sure everyone has accessible gyms, make sure everyone can afford a gym. Right? Like we'll talk a lot about exercise, but not realize that not everyone has access to a gym. There are not gyms everywhere. Not everyone can afford a gym. Not everyone has time off and not everyone even wants to work at the gym. I mean, or go work out at a gym, right? So we have to take context in because my goal for everyone is to move into this new year with better ethics and thinking more in terms of mental health and thinking if I make this comment, what impact will it have on this person's mental health? Cause I can't just be worrying about physical. Cause that's, that's really where the damage is done. You know, when I'm working with individuals that are struggling with 
the world telling them they're not attractive due to, again, body hair, body shape and size, height, skin conditions, whatever we're talking about, <clears throat> that is a reflection. That is a culmination of people constantly reflecting back that how they look isn't acceptable. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue talking about this because, um, yeah, we got to go to break. All right, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all. Sorry. I, uh, <laughs> without a producer, I don't always realize that the clock is a ticking. So anyway, last segment, we're talking about weight gain, weight loss. We're talking about recognizing the mental health impact whenever we're going to start or have a conversation with someone about our thoughts or feelings. I, I mean, to those of us that have had acne, um, you got to love that friend. That's like, Oh, you know, you have a breakout on your forehead or you have a zit on your face. And it's like, obviously we all know, Obviously, everyone's aware anxiously of what's going on with their bodies at all times. We are very good at being, you know, at the surveillance of it all. We don't need it pointed out. And I was saying in the last segment that I just really want our goal in moving to the new year to be one of saying, what's the mental health impact? If I say this thing to this person, how would it impact the mental health? And if it's going to have a negative impact, I keep it to myself. That's called boundaries, right? We have two boundaries. One protects us from other people and the other boundary protects other people from us. And that's the one that's often lacking is I'll see people thinking like, they'll say, I'm going to confront that person. Or I, I just tell it like it is. I keep it real. It's like, right. So you don't have good boundaries. You don't protect other people from you. You somehow have legitimized or glorified this idea that it's empowering and it's healthy to just say whatever's on your mind, not caring the impact it has on others. But mental health, again, the definition is you care about your impact on others. That's called empathy. That's called socialization. That's called being relational. And some people think it's funny or cool to just say whatever they want or to make fun of people. Comedians are still doing that, right? But as we're moving into the new year, we're developing that mental health lens. And that's our first question. When someone asks you to do something, how's that going to impact my mental health? And before you say or do something, how might that impact my mental health, their mental health? Because we never do that. And it sounds strange to many people. They're like, oh man, it's like, yeah, we never consider that. We already got the physical down. We already know I'm not going to take this object and hit someone with it because we honor and really value not physically damaging someone, but we're okay with the emotional and psychological. We're okay constantly asking someone, when are you getting married? Why are you still single? And the person who says that, it's about their anxiety. They're uncomfortable with you being single. They want you to start dating. They feel bad, right? That's the key word. They feel bad that they think you feel bad. It's like, go deal with your own experience of someone else and work through it on your own. We don't need to keep vocalizing, pulling other people into that right? Because what's the negative? What is the mental health impact on saying to someone every time you see them? Why aren't you married yet? Why are you still single? You're taking the time they're spending with you. You're taking time out of their day to make them feel bad. You're walking them into it. Why? You know, a loved one sees you every holiday and you're commenting on their weight gain or weight loss. That's what you wanted to do with those couple minutes. You only see them once a year and you want to take some time to make sure they feel bad because you can't have a good boundary and impulse control and keep your weight concerns to yourself. They're aware they're living in the world. You know, it, it, this, this falls under every topic talking about what someone's wearing and how they're dressed, how disheveled they are. And that was part of why I had so many clients that were so happy. They didn't have to go home for any holidays because they weren't, their parents were going to talk about their gender or their sexual orientation or their weight 
or what they're wearing or whether they're married or when they're having kids. Again, it's whoever's asking those questions, it's about their anxiety, but also them not caring about how they impact others emotionally and psychologically. I want to bring more awareness to that. And that's like a frustrated celebrity gossip. It's triggering regular people. It's, it's using celebrities mishaps as a way to build a platform and to create jokes. And we have to really start caring more about mental health. So we're going to keep talking more about that. And you'll notice that <clears throat> whenever I bring up a topic, it's through that lens, right? We can't just talk about things like they're neutral. Very few things are neutral in terms of mental health. Most of them have a powerful and direct impact, right? Because when we look at uh, mental health outcomes, one of the things we have to be doing in assessments is, ready for this one, when we're talking with someone, this is, I do this all the time when I'm working with an individual in my practice, I'll look, you know, as we're assessing mental health, I'll say, well, what's the mental health of the people you spend time around? Do they have good boundaries? Do they honor that they have an impact on your mental health? Are they toxic? It's a really hard conversation, but we have to look at when we're trying to take care of our mental health, the impact our friends and our family members and loved ones, our colleagues, our bosses, what kind of impact do they have on you? Are they toxic for you? What does that mean? How do you feel before seeing them? How do you feel while with them? And how do you feel afterwards? And if it's always bad and negative, well, then these people aren't good for your mental health. And we have to talk about finding ways to set boundaries or even maybe moving away from a relationship with them. Because yeah, that's the goal is not that we don't get into fights or conflict with people. That's life. That should happen. But they're not toxic for us. They're not bad for us. They don't negatively impact our mental health. There's work to do, but they don't negatively impact our mental health. So that really has to be the question. And that's the only thing I want people to do in this quote unquote new year, new year, new me, is that we're gonna care about those things this year. We are gonna care about how things impact others. It's not just gonna be about my family or keeping my side of the street clean or worrying about my state only or my coast. Oh, well, I'm on the West Coast, I don't have to care. Or my country, oh, well, I only have to worry about America. No, we wanna worry about everything and everyone. That's part of that necessary collective shift. So start to think about that though. How healthy are the people that you engage in all day long? Do they reflect back uh, empowerment and positivity? Do they fight fair? Are they able to deal with conflict? Or is it the opposite? It's a really scary question to ask and be asked. But I also love the reflection. I put this on my social media. How about you? It, are, are people's lives made better because you're a part of them? Like I really want you to ask yourself that. Look around at the relationships you're in, socially, romantically, and familiarly. Is your presence in their lives making them better or worse? Do you make their lives easier or harder? Do you bring joy or do you bring misery? Like really sit with that. It's a very difficult thing to answer and some people aren't gonna like the response they give themselves, but that matters. It has to matter, right? It's not just, well, I don't need to worry about it. they need to take care of themselves. It's a system and we're a part of that. So <sighs> we gotta get better about it. I know we have the capacity to make people's lives better if we just kind of look out for each other in a different way. And this is just this is just the small piece of what I do in marital and couples therapy is looking at how them being together impacts each other. And people, you know, just because you're attracted or enjoy someone enough doesn't mean you're built to be in a relationship. Tough stuff, but that's what we're here for, those tough questions and getting those tough answers. All right, coming up soon, uh, we're going to be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, you can drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page in the stories. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so always by going to wearechannelq.com. All right, y'all, you are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on radio.com. Right, time for question of the night. Tonight's question of the night was, according to President Biden, 200 million coronavirus vaccines should be given to Americans by June. 
hundred million by June. Bam. This could mean that the U S may develop herd immunity to the coronavirus. Does this change your summer plans? June's far away, not far away. Depends on how you look at it. And remember the, uh, vaccine dun, 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 does not mean that you cannot still become infected or transmit the virus. And we're seeing cases of that where people are becoming infected after having taken the vaccine. However, the vaccine has a efficacy rate that will prevent, but also will decrease the severity. So that's what it is for some people decreasing the severity, but that doesn't mean we don't have to wear masks and wash our hands because we can still transmit it to others and still become infected. It's not a hundred percent perfect, right? But it helps a lot. Just throwing that out there. So I'm hearing a lot of people say that as soon as they get vaccinated, party on. So again, question of the night is, we're supposed to have herd immunity in theory, maybe possibly by June, 200 million vaccines getting out there. Does this change your summer plans? Can't wait to hear. First person said, no vacations for me until 2022. I appreciate that. What a year. <laughs> we all need a good vacation, whatever that means. But we still want to be looking out for the impact we're having on ourselves and others and things aren't 100% okay. Hey, so I appreciate what you're saying. You're giving it another year. I know. It's going to take me time to get there. I can't even conceive of things like that. If someone said plan a vacation right now, I'd be like, I, I don't even understand what that means. Especially because all the cities are closed. Just because uh, the U.S. might have herd immunity, that doesn't mean every local area, every state, and even other countries are going to be up and kicking. You know what I mean? A lot of things are closed, right? A lot of people are still getting through all this. Anywho, someone else said, here the U.S. goes again, being selfish. What about the other countries? Oh, yep, preaching the choir. I never was all about just being, you know, nationalist. I care about everyone. I care about everyone in every state and country. And I don't go by these arbitrary boundaries of my country, your country. I don't have to care about you. Yeah. You're all people. These are arbitrary lines. And I, and I appreciate and agree with what you're saying. Um, I want everyone to get it. I want everyone to have access to it because we could just as very, we could very easily do that by state and say, I'm only worried about California, Jersey, you're on your own. I don't need to worry about you. I don't live in Jersey, but that's what you sound like when we talk about only caring about our country right? We could even do that with our own neighborhood. Uh, it's my neighborhood. I don't care about other neighborhoods in California. I don't live there. Right. But, but that, that sounds gross. Right. And it kind of sounds that way too. When we get too nationalistic and don't care about the well, the welfare and well being of other countries, which we then have no problem going in and, and vacationing in right. And utilizing resources and even coming home and appropriating some of their stuff. So I, I really like what you're pointing out there. So again, question of the night is, are your summer plans <laughs> possibly going to change based on the possibility of herd immunity by June, which I really don't think that's going to happen. But someone said, absolutely. I'm booking my tickets now, LOL. Make sure you get that um, traveler's insurance because I'm not sure it's going to be happening. Someone else said, definitely going to Florida, Miami, Disney World. Be careful. Florida's kicking around down there like ain't nothing going on they're not wearing masks they're not washing their hands things are open i'm seeing crowds i don't know about that area i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that area other than the rules and regulations it's like corona ain't happening you know what i mean uh somebody else said i just want to take a small staycation with my boyfriend nothing crazy that's what i would do at best you know small staycation i just can't imagine getting on an airplane being in an airport being around others too much anxiety. I think it would take away from the fun of the trip. Again, question of the night is with herd immunity possibly coming by June. Does it change your summer plans? Someone said trips. Yes, but definitely making sure the place I'm going is still safe and taking precautions. I know, but that's not a hundred percent. 
it's also a lot of trust factor. Everyone's trusting that everyone else is doing what they need to do so that certain places are clean or safe. I don't know. Worried about those aerosols. Can't clean away those aerosols. Those bad boys float around the air for a certain amount of time. Remember that. And they also freshly come out of those around you as they're talking, coughing, singing, working out, laughing. And that's why it's not just about, that's why we can only take so many precautions, right? Unless you're going to be doing the double mask, which now we're talking about because the original just one piece of fabric was because we're doing the best we can with what we have and we're on the fly. Now they want those surgical masks or double layers. So that's what it is really about precautions, making sure everyone's wearing those. Someone else said, no way, maybe next winter if we're lucky. That's kind of where my head's at. <laughs> it's been this long. I'm, so, I'm stir crazy, but I've settled in. So part of me is kind of like, what's the difference? Somebody else said, if airline prices stay down, we'll definitely be going on more trips. I'm curious to see how that goes. The, the airline prices are way down, but I don't know for how much longer. If, if, if at a certain point, everyone you know, jumps back on to the flights, those prices are going to go back up. And I don't know how the policies work. I haven't looked into it. I don't know if you can book now and lock in that price or if that changes. So figure that out. Um, all right, y'all. Thanks to all those that participated. Our next question of the night is back up on our Loveline IG page in the stories. Always love y'all weighing in and participating on that. Coming up next, we're going to be doing some DMs. So if you have a DM for us, put it in the uh, DMs on our Loveline IG page. Any question, no, no, any question is a good question as always. Uh, confidential and anonymous, but coming back, going to be doing those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. We're back, and now it's time to slide into our DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Slide into our DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. This Valentine's Day, we aren't sliding into DMs, we're gliding into them. That's because Astroglide is here with a dozen different personal lubricants for whatever or whoever you want to get into this month. From self-love to an intimate night with your loved one, Astroglide can help you surpass your intimate expectations. All right, we got a long one. Hang in there with us. Hey, Dr. Chris. Hey, I'm adopted. My birth mom was on drugs with my brother and I, <clears throat> and we ended up getting taken away at a really young age. Sorry to hear that, Either, <clears throat> whatever experience you had of that, and uh, even just finding out later, it reorients everything. Uh, we can really internalize that, so I appreciate whatever work you might have had to have done around that, or none at all, depending. Uh, we're both fully functioning adults, have jobs, homes, and we're doing great. Oh, I love hearing that. My entire life, I've stayed away from drugs, Alcohol I'm okay with because I know my limits and I make sure that I'm surrounded by good people if I do decide to drink. However, recently my friends have been talking about how they want to take a trip and do drugs, mostly mushrooms and molly. I've stayed away my whole life due to the fear of becoming dependent on drugs because it's in my blood. I guess my question to you is, is that even a real thing? Am I more susceptible to addiction knowing that my mother and probably father were addicts then can you even get addicted to mushrooms or molly? Well, it's a big question. And there's a lot of complexity and nuance in this question. It's, it's not in your blood. Um, addiction is not a disease. We now know that. But it's a lot of things. People can be genetically susceptible to a lot of things that can possibly lead to what looks like addiction. Addiction is driven by different things for everyone. For a lot of people realizing it's a response to trauma. And we're seeing that based on the rates of addiction born out of how much trauma someone's had. 
We know the percentage of chance that someone might have what we'd call an addiction based on one trauma or two traumas or three traumas. So it comes from a lot of different, it comes from a lot of different needs trying to get met. For some people, it's socialized and it becomes a pattern and a habit. Other people born out of trauma. For some, it's attempt to regulate mood struggles or disorders, depression, anxiety. For others, it's an attempt to make up for a lack of attachment and relationality in their lives. It's a symptom of something. And the work is about figuring out is, is, is where, where, why did that learning take place, right? What, it, what is someone trying to solve? What is trying to, someone trying to seek? For some people, they're just trying to seek an alternative experience, a transcendent experience. Drug use has been happening since the beginning of time. People took hallucinogens and drank things that were intoxicating to bring joy to their life, to celebrate things. It was used in ritual and religion. We now use it now in the mental health world. We're talking about using uh, psilocybin, which is in the hallucinogen family, right? We um, are talking about using ketamine in therapies for addiction, for depression, for anxiety. People are microdosing. Animals will return and continue to eat berries that make them get high. So this has been a part of our culture forever. And so it's understandable that you're with a group of friends that want to go get high. 75 to 90% of people that use drugs do so uh, in a non-abusive, problematic way. People that get addicted are actually a very, very small percentage. And sometimes it's dependent upon the context of what's going on in your life, where during a difficult time, when maybe trauma is occurring or life is chaotic, Someone might rely more heavily and then later in life be better able to use. We see people all the time where at one point alcohol or drug use is problematic and not down the road or drug use is problematic, but alcohol seems to work within the context of their life. So I can't answer that outright for anyone. I can't ever say what is it exactly driven by, nor can I ever say whether or not someone would develop a problem around it. And so you have to really make that that personal decision for yourself. It's very possible you could go off with your friends, use mushroom and molly, and it, you could be a social user with your friends in certain contexts and really benefit from it. Or it could become something that you return back home from and realize you really, really are thinking a lot about it. It seemed to really solve your social anxiety or depression. And then you start to see yourself maybe abusing it and misusing it. It's hard to say. And so I can't really tell an adult what they should go do. I can just lay out the facts and let them make their own informed decision. And if you are deciding to use, make sure you do what we call harm reduction. Make sure you are staying hydrated. You are not driving. You're around people you feel safe. Make sure the drugs have been tested to understand the potency and quality. Look at what you're not supposed to mix or take with them because that's where a lot of the issues come in. People don't do them in safe environments. The drugs aren't you know quality drugs. They're mixing them with other things. So at least if you're going to use, be an informed user and consumer. All right, y'all, that is our show. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be talking about sleep hygiene. It's a good thing. It's important it's for our physical health, our mental health. And I've been making a lot of realizations through doing that research about myself. So join us tomorrow. You can check out past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. As always, all, thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night.